Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Good morning to you. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS. Dr. Dan Rudd is with us this morning. We're going to be having an update on the COVID-19 situation. Dr. Rudd has been with us quite a few times over the past several months. Dan, good morning to you. Good morning, Bart. Great to be here. Good to have you here, too. You've always had interesting things to say, and I want to look back over some of the things that you've said in the past that have really made us think and, and brought this into perspective. One thing you said, that were, there were two things that stand out. One was uh, several months ago you said the coronavirus would be something if it holds true, if COVID-19 holds true with the coronavirus family, that uh, it would more than likely at some point just fade away. That was one of the uh, things of the coronavirus. I want to look at that. And then the other thing, you had predicted a large rise in COVID-19 this uh, fall, late summer, early fall. And you said, don't worry about that. That's part of what's going to happen. Is that what we're seeing now? I think both of those things are true, but it's so dependent on regions. Uh, We have uh, differences in where you are. One of the things that I wanted to do today was to kind of give a, a snapshot of where we are in Rutherford County and then talk a little bit more about some of the exciting developments really in the understanding of coronaviruses and COVID-19. Um, let me start out, Bart, by saying that just so that uh, I'm sure most folks are familiar with this, but, you know, when we talk about SARS-CoV-2, that's the name of the virus, And the COVID-19 is the name of the disease that the virus causes. Um, When we look at what's going on right now in Rutherford County, you know, really it's pretty good news. Our our total tested is in the 53,000 range. Our number of confirmed cases is around 6,146 right now. And our total fatalities are about 53. That puts our case fatality rate really very low at 0.86%. Let me put that in perspective. Uh, At 0.86%, every death is terrible, but we have a low number of deaths compared to a lot of regions. We have about 86 people out of 10,000 with the disease would be expected to die in uh, Rutherford County. Worldwide, that number is 3.7%, or 376 per 10,000. And if you look at New York City uh, specifically, that number is 782 per 10,000. But that governor, the governor of um, New York State and the uh, mayor of New York City made some really tragic mistakes in the way they handled the disease and accounted for that increase. Um, You know, I think that what we're learning about this coronavirus is that it is uh, consistent with other coronaviruses as far as its behavior. 
And so, as expected, we've seen the increase um, through the summer and it, now into the fall. But And we're still seeing a gradual increase in the total numbers, which you would expect in Rutherford County. But basically, I think we're going to see that number uh, fall off as we you know move on into the fall. Um, we'll see a, a, a slight spike when schools start back, and I suspect that um, we'll probably have reaction to that where uh, schools may go back to virtual. Um, again, that wouldn't surprise me, uh, but it, it'll be a response to whatever happens in the school. So if we see a teacher or two get infected, we'll probably see them you know, close down again, I'm guessing. But that's up to the school uh, administration. But let's talk a little bit today about some of the new stuff that's that's kind of interesting that's going on with COVID-19. And, uh, you know, if anybody has any questions out there and, and wants to uh, ask any specific questions, go ahead and text us and let us know or call in. Oh, we do have a phone call, too. Oh, okay. Whoops, they hung up. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, one of the things that I think that is is really interesting about um, this COVID-19 disease is that we're seeing that um, the majority of people get the infection and it resolves. But one of the things that's happening is that our immune system, once it's activated by the virus and we fight it, a certain percent of people will go into what they call long haulers, which means that they have persistent symptoms that go on for an extended period of time. And we don't know what that exact percentage is, but we do know that, that probably it's in the range of uh, 5 to 10% of people, maybe less than that. But even out as far as four months, people are having a lot of persistent fatigue, shortness of breath, um, maybe some neurologic symptoms, mental fog, uh, a variety of things. And I think that, to me, that's uh, it's it's something that really signifies the fact that even though the disease itself acutely is not um, too bad, the long-term effects in some people can be uh, very difficult for them. And so our goal is to, you know, really try to keep people safe and prevent the acute infections. I think that um, if we can... If we can uh, diminish spread now we can avoid the long-term complications and and right now we just don't know what those all are totally bart okay so these are things that uh, time will help solve some of the right. issues and uh, i think of it kind of like uh, strep pharyngitis and acute rheumatic fever it's kind of a corollary to that because uh, you know strep pharyngitis is a typical bacterial sore throat but a small percent of people who if they're not treated for the streptococcus, go on to develop acute rheumatic fever. And that's pretty serious. And I, I believe that we'll see that this has a similar kind of disease pattern where the acute disease is not terrible for most people, but the immune response leads us into another complication, which is this long-term outcome in a small number of people that can be difficult. I have a text question here from a listener who says she's had some heart issues and she is worried about the coronavirus right now, especially because she's taking care of her granddaughter who is in uh, elementary school. And she says she has a habit 
The granddaughter has a habit of putting her hands in her mouth a lot. I think that's a common granddaughter habit. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. So is, does she have a, a chance? Is her likelihood of being exposed greater once the kids get back in school? I think that without a doubt that's the case. But uh, anyone who's got certain uh conditions as it is at increased risk and one of those conditions is age another obesity a number three and four and five are probably heart disease hypertension and diabetes and so anyone who's got those pre-existing conditions is is at increased risk and we do know that there's no doubt children can spread the disease there was some question uh you know, with some studies that had come out and some things in the popular press about children not being able to spread it. But that's that's not right. Children can spread the disease. They often are asymptomatic. We know that probably 50% of people who get COVID-19 have no symptoms at all. Maybe only 25% have any fever. And so we've been using fever as a guideline when now we're recognizing fever may be present only in 25% of people. So, you know, screening temperature um, uh, is helpful, but recognizing that it's not 100%, it's 25%. So when you go into a doctor's office or a restaurant and they take your temperature, uh, that's not always a, a sure thing. That's correct. Okay. Anything else people could be doing to be sure that uh, infected people aren't coming in and spreading? I think that, you know, the things that we have to do is think about other people, not just our risk individually, because, you know, the vast majority of people are going to be fine who get this disease. And the media has a tendency to create the, the need for fear. And I don't think fear is warranted in this situation. I think this is simply a matter of saying, okay, this is a disease that can hurt some people. And what we want to do is be aware of that and and respectful of other people and try to decrease the risk that we will catch it and spread it to other people. If we get it and give it to other people, we'll probably never know the people that are harmed. It'll, there'll be statistics. But there is that risk, and we do not want to cause other people to be sick. Here's We've gotten quite a few more text messages. Can seizures be a sign uh, of, of, of the disease? They say they've never had one until the other day. It's unusual for seizures to be a presenting symptom, but seizures can be related to fever in children. And so children with febrile seizures is not uncommon. Um, we do know that the virus does get into the brain. And usually the things that are, that are attributed to the virus are things that are mild like headache uh, and potentially some mental cloudiness, but generally not seizures. Okay. Uh, here's another one. This person says, I'm very confused. So many conflicting news reports. Hospitals report that uh, COVID deaths are happening there, and they're they're curious because they think maybe the hospitals are getting funds for the COVID deaths and maybe calling them that when it's something else. Uh, also, it is an election year. Help me understand the confusion in numbers. 
and politically based matters? Well, that's a difficult one. But I think that the thing to remember is with this disease is the media is definitely out to create um, listeners and fear. And this is not a disease that deserves either fear or uh, paranoia. I mean, we don't need to be believing that everybody is manipulating numbers simply for money. I think there's a truth to, to this disease. The truth is the disease is out there. The truth is the disease will kill some people. But the chances of dying from the disease are very low. But at the same time, they can occupy a lot of health care hours and uh, spaces, beds, hospital beds, ICU beds. And the goal is, and it goes back to what was mentioned early in this process, flattening the curve. It's trying to make sure we have the capacity to deal with the amount of disease we see. And right now, we're doing that. But we want to continue to do that. And I think the way we do that is simply to be careful. You know, we don't want to catch the disease. We don't want to spread it if we catch it. But we don't want to be afraid because you're going to be okay if you get the disease. You just have to ride it out. You know, I've, I've had several patients with it. And, you know, I've had a couple who've been in the hospital. And fortunately, um, the vast majority have recovered. You know, I, I've had one patient who did not recover who had a lot of other coexisting problems. And it, it does happen. But this is something that if you take care of yourself, um, you know, that gets to another area that I wanted to talk about a little sure. bit, which are, are ways that you can help your immune system to deal with this better. But uh, there's so many exciting things going on that we've learned about uh, with our own immune system, with the virus, and with, with treatments that are coming along. And I think that we could talk about this for really hours. I, I just I think it's an incredible subject that with so much news. Um, but let me, let me segue into the idea of what can you do to help yourself strengthen your immune system and maybe not get infected. Um, I think one of the things that's really come out is the importance of sleep. We need to get about seven hours of sleep, if possible, a night. Sleeping helps your innate immune system. It, it boosts it. I think that, you know, we look at things like zinc, vitamin C, and vitamin D. All of those are uh, low-level things that are good for your immune system. Zinc is has been shown to help significantly with the uh, the way our body kills viruses. And uh, it's like anything. You can overdose on even oxygen. So you have to realize that when you're talking about uh, supplementation with vitamins or zinc, you have to do it within the range that is helpful and not overdo it. Um, zinc is usually like one tablet a day, like 220 milligrams of uh, zinc once a day is a good thing to be on most of the uh, cold season. Uh, vitamin D is another thing that we can test for. It is a, um, a lipid-soluble soluble vitamin, and so we have to not overdose on vitamin D. But to take a supplement, for most people, of uh, uh, 1,000 uh, to 2,000 units a day, 
vitamin, I mean, vitamin D, uh, one to 2,000 units a day, vitamin C, uh, probably a, a gram twice a day of that, um, those help. You know, there's, there's evidence that, um, you know, a, a healthy diet is important, but I think that's weaker. Um, I think that you know, one of the things that people have to focus on, though, is wearing their mask when they're in public and avoiding large groups. I think that this um, example, there was an example this week that has come into the news of uh, a kid's camp in Georgia where a tremendous number of people were exposed and became positive because they were in uh, close proximity and realizing that uh, getting the virus is something. The first thing is to not be in those groups, not be close to people who are going to be more than 10 to 20 people in a group. And we know uh, locally here in Rutherford County, there are examples of people who have gotten the virus in small parties of maybe 10 people um, and avoiding those groups. So if you are with people, wear a mask, social distance, and avoid large crowds. That's right. Okay. Tell you what let's do. Let's pause for just a moment, and we'll be back. And and let me suggest this, because we have people trying to call in, too. It's going to be difficult, I think, to work in phone calls, but we can work in text messages a whole lot easier. So text us your questions. The Braves play here. Putting the big bat in our lineup since 1981. I'm Jim Powell, and you're in Braves country on News Radio WGNS. This is Peter Demas, and I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demas's restaurants. One of the things that we have always done is we have been very careful with the way that we sanitize our tables. We have mandatory hand washing stations. Our employees are required to wear masks. We are just overall just being very careful with everything that we are doing and the way we handle food, the way we handle plates to ensure everybody's safety as they return and start enjoying the dining room experience again. Demas's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. If I could talk to the animals. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. You can find us at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Here at Animal City, we have an excellent variety of pond supplies and the expertise to help you get your garden pond looking beautiful. And for your convenience, we're happy to take call-ahead orders for curbside delivery. As we approach our 30th anniversary, our family at Animal City wants to thank you for your support. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. I happened to glance up, and the clear sky was gone. Coast to coast, all night, every night. All I could see was something round and black. On WGNS, AM, FM, online. Hey, let me ask you a question. How do you feel about $2 or $3 Lay's or Cheetos? Pretty good, huh? What about regular M&M's for only a buck? Yeah, how about that? These are just a handful of sweet deals that you'll find right now at MAPCO. MAPCO, you need to head over there. You'll be surprised how they always have great deals for everyday cravings. Oh boy, I love that place. And don't forget to download their My Rewards mobile app to earn points to use toward items like ice-cold fountain drinks and even fuel. 
The app is available for both iPhone and Androids. Stop by and save at your local Mapco dealer. Good morning. It's busy, but it's still moving fairly decent here on 24 up by Walden Road, Sam Ridley Parkway. Just busy down the interstate here coming in from Coffee County through Rutherford County. Watch your speed. We've seen tons of radar. Hey, Princess Hot Chicken is the original hot chicken in Middle Tennessee. Check them out online at princesshotchicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. Thank you, Chuck. What about the weather? Brought to you by First National Bank of Murfreesboro. Skies become mostly sunny this afternoon with a high into the upper 80s. Winds out of the north at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy alone near 64. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 68. COVID 19 has changed our world. And First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you. Scams steal your money. I'm Shelly Rigsby, manager of First National Bank of Murfreesboro. And I'm Amanda Gentry. Don't give your personal information to people you don't know, even if they say they're the police or anyone. Get with First National Bank of Murfreesboro, 2230 Mercury Boulevard. Now a part of the Capstar Bank family, member FDIC. He's Rutherford County's consumer warrior. This is the real deal. Clark Howard, weekdays 11 to 1 on WGNS AM FM Online. Welcome back. Dan Rudd is our guest this morning. We're talking about COVID-19, and we're going to only take text messages today. They're just, uh, the phone calls are going to be sort of rough to work in in a timely manner. We do have several text questions, though. Here's one that says, "Has uh, have autopsies been performed on these patients to determine blood clots? They have, uh, in foreign countries, found that blood clots have been a uh, bacterial-related. Anything uh, truth? Is that an accurate statement? That's true, Bart. Let me, uh, partially true. Let let me tell you a little bit more about that. We do know that um, the virus, it's not a bacterial thing, which you said bacterial-related, but it's viral-related. The virus attaches to what are called ACE2 receptors on cells. And we know that those receptors occur in the endothelium, the lining of the blood vessels. And we know it's they're in the lungs. We know they're in the kidneys. Um, but they can definitely affect uh, the clotting mechanism. It, it gets very detailed quickly, but basically it goes back to increased production of what's called von Willebrand's factor, which is basically a, a, uh, a factor involved in clotting that is genetically determined. And people who um, have a high expression of the ACE2 receptors have increased production of the von Willebrand's factor. And we know that once the endothelial cells are infected with the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, the um, the inflammation of those endothelial cells increases this this stranding type of clot that develops that's platelet rich and that these things are responsible for probably um, uh, a lot of the shortness of breath and the clogging in the uh, pulmonary vasculature, the lungs, decreasing the oxygen uh, into the blood. We also believe that those things are related to increased clots. You know, there's 
there's been identified that people have increase in uh, 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 arterial and venous clots. And one of the things that's been characterized are what are called COVID toes, which are basically a description of poor circulation in the toes. Um, there's no doubt that this virus is associated with increased clotting. We have another question here, and this person is asking about the disease. How does it uh, compare to flu? Uh, Is the death count more? Is it more serious? Uh, How do they compare? The numbers of patients are much greater with COVID-19 than flu. Uh, It's interesting because we're going to see probably a drop in the flu cases this year because of the, of the measures we've instituted to decrease COVID-19. It's a respiratory virus also, and we're going to see less people uh, who get less respiratory viruses because we're going to be more careful. Uh, last year, you know, the numbers of deaths from f- flu were probably in the 60,000 range. Well, you can tell that we've had way over that with COVID-19. We're in the, we're probably going to approach 200,000 by Christmas um, this year. So there's no doubt there are more deaths from COVID-19 than flu. As far as the viruses themselves, they, they both are, uh, have their individual characteristics that are unique. They're not the same. So when people say we don't worry about flu, why should we worry about this one is more deadly then? This one is is more deadly, it's more contagious, and it's probably related to the fact that it's new. You know, you often hear it called a novel coronavirus. It's new, so there is no baseline immunity. And we know that the immune system is critical in Uh, determining what we get as far as an infection goes. Now, there are a lot of people who get flu who don't have a lot of symptoms, too. But to compare the two is probably not helpful. Here's another one. My employer is planning a large conference here in town with people coming in from hot spot states. (laughs) I think we are a hot spot state, aren't we? Well, uh, I mean, compared to some, we are. Okay. Uh, somebody said there were some states that were saying they didn't want Tennesseans to come there. So I don't know. Uh, we've got a reputation already, it looks like. Uh, what can I do to, uh, as an employee, I can't refuse to work or I lose my job. Do I have any recourse as an employee? Well, I'm not an HR expert, but I can tell you medically what to do. You should uh, wear your mask. You should maintain physical distancing. And probably you should wear glasses. Um, There's evidence that having exposure of the conjunctiva is is risky. And you can get the disease through the conjunctiva, the lining around your eye. Mm, And so I think that if you're going to be in a large group to do those things and then Frequently wash your hands. Take your hand sanitizer with you. You get a little pocket container of it. Use it frequently. Um, Realize that most transmission is person to person. Most is not surface derived. 
So you're not going to get this disease from touching things unless there's just a lot of people there. Um, most of it's going to be from direct conversation with people or sitting in a room that's air-conditioned with lots of people around you. That's where you're going to get it. This person uh, has said, I'm glad you mentioned about getting it in the eyes. I had not heard that before, but I've seen quite a few friends wearing the mask, the plastic mask that you can see through. Does that protect your mouth and your eyes? It does. The face shield, I guess you're face talking sh- I about. I guess yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely does. And I think that, but you have to remember that with a face shield, you can still touch your mouth. And so one of the goals of wearing uh, personal protective equipment is to help keep yourself from touching your mouth and eyes. So which you is could a habit be your, we all have. your worst enemy. Yes, well, you, you could. So if you get out of that habit of touching your face, uh, and of course, if you have a shield on, it's you might initially come up and hit the shield. So that yeah, would yeah. reduce. Don't sneak your fingers around uh, <laughs> underneath right. the shield to pick your teeth or something. <laughs> now, if you wear the face shield, do you need also the mask under the face shield? Well, the more the better. But you know, I've seen people wear two and three masks. I've seen people really? wear helmets. I've seen I've seen a variety of things out there, and so you know, the more isolated you are probably the safer but still you have to communicate you've got to function and so i think you're better off if you if you wear a face shield i don't think you have to wear a face mask under it but you still want the the physical distancing that that's very important is that perhaps the most important it probably is you know now we, we hear 10 feet or six feet what, what how much distance is well that? i think that when you get past three feet every foot helps but you can, you need to be at least three feet okay. and you know if you can get to six or eight feet that's even better and, and in that regard here's a question this person says uh what about the political rallies people getting together uh shoulder to shoulder in some cases uh, shaking hands, hugging, no mask. Uh, is that a responsible way to do things? I think that, you know, the responsible thing to do is to decrease exposure and decrease transmission. And that includes whether you're, you're at a rally, you're at a classroom, or you're at an at a activist demonstration. It doesn't matter what, what the name of the activity is. The best thing is not being in crowds, and doing the basic protective activities and behaviors we've described. I hear so much, uh, this is a question from a listener, I hear so much about children being exempt from these laws. Children don't have to wear masks. Children don't do this, don't do that. Uh, why are they exempting children? I think that the, the biggest reason is behaviorally you just can't make them do anything. I mean, the smaller the child, the less they're going to comply. You know, they're going to be, you know, pulling their mask off. They're going to have all kinds of secretions in the mask. They're going to be sharing masks. They're going to be chewing on the mask. Uh, They're they're just not able to behaviorally and in a a maturity uh, standpoint follow the rules. So we have to accept that. So... If we think about schools reopening with children in them, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be difficult. And I think one of the things that we've 
we're on the verge of some big changes in the way we do testing. The key to doing this successfully is going to be testing. COVID testing. COVID testing. As opposed to the other testing that's also in the news, because they're talking about testing the children again to be sure that they haven't forgotten anything. Right. Now, yeah, we're not talking <laughs> about intellectual or educational testing. Okay. Here. Yeah. Just wanted to be because sure I'm afraid we'd never pass that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but if we could, you know, in one of the things that's hard to um, to change is even our view of what testing needs to be. I think that we have typically had the gold standard of testing to be the PCR testing, which is is very accurate and extremely sensitive. And we know now that that's not really the best thing. We need a test that is, number one, accurate for transmissibility, which is not the same as accurate for particles. And understanding that difference is, is a very fine point. And understanding that we need a cheap test, a test that can be done every day that you can do at home. And I think that, that those tests are on the way. We're going to have tests probably in the next few months that, are, uh, that we can purchase, that we could do for a, a couple of dollars a day, maybe a dollar a day, that basically are going to be like a litmus paper test where we you know, basically put it in our mouth and take it out, and if it changes color, you're transmissible. That's what we need because then we can really control the spread of the of the disease it will be able to every child could test it every day before they go to school and if it's positive they stay home for 10 days and that's the way we really have to control this disease Uh, waiting until we uh, can test in this traditional way that we've been doing with these nasopharyngeal swabs and this you know seven to ten day delay in the results is ineffective it's overly expensive and it's prohibitive we've got to get to a fast cheap accurate transmissible test here's a listener with a question how safe are these vaccinations that they're talking about and it sounds like the vaccinations are already being tested on people uh what is it doing to them i think that you know we get into um, this discussion about is there something nefarious about vaccinations in general? And I think, I believe that vaccinations are very important to our public health. We have to vaccinate for, for diseases. We're, we're so lucky to be able to vaccinate. And I think that recognizing that these vaccines are going to have a, a, some complications. You, you have to expect that all vaccines do. But in the scope of things, vaccines are important for disease control. Um, every attempt is being made to make the safest vaccines possible and to be able to be given at the lowest dose. And we're seeing so many new technologies evolve through this f- rapid drive and expenditure of government money to develop really good vaccines. We're going to see Uh, vaccines hopefully in the marketplace uh, by the end of this year first part of next year which uh, we really need that's the way to make this virus disappear quicker but it's like I you mentioned a little earlier Bart this virus is going to disappear it's going to be gone 
it's just a matter of how long is it going to take for that to happen. Is it going to be, you know, by November 3rd, uh, which, you know, the election is going to change things, and we'll see less uh, information about it, uh, but it's going to be gone. Here's a question, and I've never heard this uh, comparison before. Is there any connection between wearing a mask and Legionnaire's disease? Explain what Legionnaire's disease is. Legionnaire's disease is a bacterial infection, and it affects the lungs. And where the name Legionnaire's came from was there was um, the American Legion had a convention in Philadelphia several years ago, and this contaminated the um, ventilation system, the air conditioning, and basically it spread the disease. It's it's basically a, a pulmonary infection, a lung infection. Uh, this, you know, many things can be transmitted through the ventilation systems, lots of pulmonary diseases. And that's the only connection between the two, is they are both, COVID-19 and Legionnaires are both types of pulmonary infections. Okay, so not really the same at all? No, not the same at all. Okay, that's good news. Uh, How does this compare to the disease that hit us uh, in 1918? Okay, 1918 was the was the influenza pandemic um it was very different i mean you know we were at a different point in history we had a different understanding of illness um and at that time there were no vaccines for flu there was a war going on there was this necessity to basically put young people in large container ships and send them to europe uh, so many people died because of that situation. Uh, it, but again, it was influenza, and it was very contagious with a very high rate of pneumonia, and many people died from it. The best things that could happen to prevent that, it was shown, it was interesting. There was this, uh, one little community that did this total isolation called in Littleton, Colorado, they basically blocked the little town off, and they had no problem with it because of that. One of the biggest episodes of spread of that 1918 flu was actually at the end of the war when they had the armistice celebration, and they had a huge party in Chicago. It killed so many people because of the close contact. That is how flu and COVID-19 spreads close contact. We're going to pause for just a moment, check on the traffic and weather. We've got several more text questions coming in. So if you have a question, get it to us quickly because we only have a few more minutes left. 615-893-1450. We'll be right back. Dr. Dan Rudd is our guest this morning. We're looking closely at COVID-19. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Tina Fox, the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. If you're having any gardening needs or needing anything to help those plants grow, something for your furry friends... 
have a wonderful clothing line and a great gift department for whatever kind of gift you should need. We have our Duke Cannon line for the men's grooming products. We also have our Farmhouse Fresh for our ladies. This is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op Farm and Home Center at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. Hi, this is Willie from Smith Brothers Car Wash. We're a family-owned business. I'm here basically every day of the week. And, you know, if you have any questions or comments or anything, I'll be happy to help you and answer any questions that you have. As the summer comes along, it's going to get hotter and hotter. And, you know, if, if you're dressed nice in your suit, you're in your dress, you don't want to be outside and vacuuming your own car and getting all sweaty. So bring your car here and let us do the work so that you can stay inside in the air conditioning. We're located at 1103 Memorial Boulevard, Smith Brothers Car Wash. Skies become mostly sunny this afternoon with a high into the upper 80s. Winds out of the north at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy alone near 64. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 68. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615-930-0088. A whole house air purifier. 615-930-0088. The Action Line with Bart Walker. Weekday mornings at 810. WGNS, your good neighbor station. County's place to talk. Looking closely at the COVID-19 virus, we're hearing a lot of news, and so a lot of people are concerned. Uh, we're going to have another question, then, for the questions after this. Dr. Rudd will answer them uh, online here. We'll put them on our website, the questions and answers. But uh, this person says, do studies show the after effects of a recovered patient? Long issues, long-term care uh, any issues after they have the disease? Uh, yes, that's for sure, for sure, Bart. Uh, you know, these are have been termed long haulers, and it's a, a new term that has been coined because we're recognizing that in many of the patients who develop COVID-19, um, four to six weeks afterwards even six to eight months now as many of them as that we approach that distance from the start of this disease we're seeing persistent symptoms i think that one of the things that's a real concern is a persistent decrease in lung function that may be only um, 15 to 20 percent decrease but a, a lot of the professional athletes are very worried about that because you know they're exceptional athletes and to have a 15 or 20 percent decrease in lung function is a, is a major impact for their sport. We're seeing effects on the heart. We're seeing effects in the brain. Uh, we know the virus, it, you know, it gets in everywhere there's an ACE2 receptor. And those ACE2 receptors are scattered. Um, we are going to see this group of people, I think, uh, with persistent long-term problems that will be defined uh, over years. So when you say problems with the brain, what could that lead to? We're seeing uh, specifically this uh, mental fog, uh, malaise, fatigue, uh, the, f- the feeling that 
there's something wrong. No, it doesn't seem to. Alzheimer's is a specific disease that is is not caused by this. That we don't know where this is settling yet, as far as in the brain, what parts of the brain. Uh, whether it's in specific locations or generalized through the brain, the, the virus has been identified already in autopsy series in the brain. So we know it goes there. Uh, we know the virus it infects the endothelium, the lining of the arteries, especially the smaller capillaries. We know that the type 2 alveolar cell, cells, which are part of the lung cells that are responsible for oxygen diffusing into the blood, are infected and how that long-term consequence will play out i don't know but but there will be more to the story that we will identify with time so these are things that we don't know about right now but could impact our future health that that's exactly right and i think you know that's why i i drew the correlation to uh, strep pharyngitis and acute rheumatic fever only a small percent of people who get streptococcal pharyngitis will develop rheumatic fever. But rheumatic fever affects the heart for years. And many people end up with valve replacements and heart disease from having rheumatic fever as a child. And this is, is different than that, but it can have the same sort of long-term outcome. We just don't know yet what that will be. So if you have any of the other issues like obesity, things of that sort, if you can get that under control, now uh, you'll be better off if you've, if you've had COVID-19. You want to get these other things under control, I would guess. I think that the thing to focus on is if you have risk factors, you need to be especially attentive because you're not going to be so much worried about what happens in 20 years. You don't, you don't want to die from the disease. And the first thing is don't get the disease. So avoid the places where you would expect to get it. And when you have to be out, use personal protective equipment. Face masks are incredibly important to decrease that spread, both to avoid other people catching it from you and you catching it from other people. Uh, Hand washing, uh, being diligent about using that. Take your hand sanitizer and you know, keep a, a little bit in the car with you, a little sprayer. Use that frequently through the day. Uh, every time you get out, whether you have to fill up with gas, whether you have to uh, interact with a drive through person at a restaurant, uh, whatever you're doing, uh, use it regularly through the day. And so you're thinking in the right way. The reason the gas is because you're touching something that a lot of people have touched. That's right. Same with doorknobs, buttons on elevators, any of these things. And, but realize that a minority of the infections actually come from surface contact. The majority come from personal contact with people. And, you know, and so I think focus your attention that way. Remember, when you're in contact or conversing with other people, that's when you're at greater exposure. That's when you need to be wearing your face mask, especially if you have three or four or five people around a table together or if you're at a meeting. And especially if anyone is coming in from out of state, you don't know where they're coming from. Uh, Hotspots exist all over the country. So avoid crowds, cover your face, wash Wash your your hands. hands. Big things. Big, big things. 
And when you say social distancing, minimum, minimum of three feet, preferably more. Correct. Okay. We have about uh, 10 or 15 seconds. Any final thoughts? Well, I think the first thing is is just remembering that we're going to get through this. This is uh, an incredible learning ex- experience for us as a culture and even as a world, how to deal with something that is, is new. Uh, we've got, fortunately, really good leadership in the state of Tennessee and I think in the country. As we move through this, we're spending uh, a lot of money and time researching it. So I'm excited. We're learning a lot. Dr. Dan Rudd with us this morning on WGNS Murfreesboro.